Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Quad Shot, where we help you down and digest the day's most pertinent cancer news. Welcome to the November 4th, 2019 Quadcast. Here we are in the new rendition of the Quadcast where we're attempting to bring you high-impact summaries from the previous week and also attempting to dive in a little bit deeper to the data and the background contextual data so that you can have a higher quality product. Let us know what you think. We love your feedback. First up, keep, keep bleeding love. Or, as Leona Lewis would say, So does bevacizumab improve outcomes for recurrent or metastatic head and neck squamous cell carcinoma? Before we answer that question, you might actually be thinking that isn't chemotherapy plus pembrolizumab the preferred regimen in this setting, the recurrent and metastatic head and neck squamous cell carcinoma setting? So let's reflect. The backbone of treatment for recurrent or metastatic head and neck squamous cell is platinum-based chemotherapy. If we go back to 2008, Merck showed that adding cetuximab to platinum and 5-FU improved survival in this population. In fact, the New England Journal publication by Vermorkin et al. highlights a median survival improvement from 7 to 10 months when you add cetuximab to platinum 5-FU. Approximately a decade later, Merck outdid themselves with the results of the Keynote 048 study. As a reminder, this was a phase 3 randomized controlled trial in which patients with recurrent or metastatic head and neck squamous cell were evaluated. In this study, the authors reported that the addition of pembrolizumab to platinum and 5-FU incrementally improved survival over cetuximab plus platinum and 5-FU. And in patients with a high PDL1 expression, which they defined as a combined proportion score greater than 20, pembrolizumab alone improved survival over cetuximab plus platinum and 5-FU. But wait, here we have the final results from the ECOG E1305 trial, as published in JCO 2019 by Argyris, where patients with recurrent or metastatic head and neck squamous cell received platinum-based chemo plus or minus bevacizumab, which admittedly might seem weird to you. And yes, E1305's timing was unfortunate because it includes no comparison with either cetuximab or pembro, which wasn't all bad considering that unfortunately there was no significant improvement in overall survival with the addition of bevacizumab as compared to chemotherapy alone. There was, however, a significant increase in major bleeding events and death, probably washing out any potential oncologic advantage. So what's the bottom line? Despite good intentions, bevacizumab added to platinum and 5-FU significantly increases toxicity without improving survival in patients with recurrent or metastatic head and neck squamous cell. Up second, now count backwards from 10. We all know that anesthesia comes with risks, possibly 
even oncologic risks. The authors of this study, published in Lancet 2019 by Sessler et al., had the ambitious hypothesis that general anesthesia and the associated physiologic stress response could increase the risk of breast tumor recurrence, and they went to no limits in order to test it. They recruited over 2,000 patients from multiple international centers to be randomized to breast surgery under general anesthesia versus regional anesthesia and analgesia consisting of a paravertebral nerve block and propofol administration. And these patients weren't just receiving simple lobectomies. These patients were having mastectomies, sometimes even bilateral mastectomies, and full axillary lymph node dissections. The study follow-up was terminated for futility when it was found that there was no likely difference in the rate of cancer recurrence between the groups. Regional anesthesia also did not reduce the rate of severe incisional pain, as it has been purported to do. Roughly a quarter of patients in each arm had incisional pain at one year following surgery, with no difference between anesthesia type. The only real difference between arms was an increase in nausea after general anesthesia. The bottom line is, while there may be benefits to regional anesthesia during breast cancer surgery, reductions in the risk of tumor recurrence and incisional pain aren't among them. Next up, seeing things. Many patients will often claim that they see flashes of light while they're receiving their radiation treatment. And as a physician, we'll oftentimes say, sure, that happens, but in the back of our mind, many of us may be thinking, I don't know what they're talking about. This article by Tindler et al. in the Red Journal 2019 highlights something quite interesting, and it's that what patients may actually be seeing is Cherenkov light, produced when a charged particle passes through a medium at a speed that is faster than the quote-unquote phase velocity of light in that medium. In other words, charged particles produced during ionizing radiation pass through the vitreous humor at speeds exceeding the propagation speed of light in that viscous medium. This creates a quote-unquote photonic boom, you know, like a sonic boom with light, that is absorbed by the medium and then emitted as a burst of light. In fact, the spectrum of Cherenkov light is in the blue-green range, which explains reports of blue flashes that have been previously published. The bottom line is, photonic booms generated within the vitreous explain the flashes of light experienced by patients receiving radiation near the eyes. Up next, headed in the right direction. For those looking to ablate every oligometastasis in sight, it's worth pausing to reflect that other primary cancers outside of the usual suspects of breast, prostate, lung, and colorectal were few and far between in the landmark Sabre Comet trial. Even so, in 2019, you kind of hate to treat any cancer that has cropped up with a single metastasis after a long disease-free interval with the old-school approach of chemotherapy alone. So here's a hypothesis-generating retrospective review by Beckham et al., 
published in the British Journal of Cancer 2019, that looked at 186 patients who developed metastatic disease following definitive treatment for localized head and neck squamous cell carcinoma within the Memorial Sloan Kettering system. Of these patients, 30 received some form of local quote-unquote metastasis-directed therapy with surgery or radiation. Sure, the numbers are small, but the reality is so are the numbers in the Saber Comet and Gomez studies. First of all, and unsurprisingly, those with a single MET were more likely to be alive at five years than those with more than a single MET at 35% versus 4%. The bigger news, though, comes with the multivariate analysis demonstrating metastasis-directed therapy was associated with a significantly lower risk of death, the hazard ratio of 0.36. What's more, median survival free from subsequent metastases among these 30 patients was impressively over two years. The bottom line is, while we can't say for sure that metastasis-directed treatment prolongs life for patients with a recurrence of head and neck squamous cell at a single distant site, their prognosis is good enough that it at least makes sense to try while awaiting for more definitive data. Next up, don't be jealous. Does postmastectomy radiation carry the same benefit in the setting of trastuzumab for HER2-positive breast cancer? Postmastectomy radiation has a well-established role in the treatment of node-positive breast cancer. More recently, the landmark HERA trial established the role of adjuvant trastuzumab for women with HER2-positive breast cancer. There were over 5,000 women enrolled, 1,600 of whom had a mastectomy and adjuvant trastuzumab with, at 58%, or without, at 42%, postmastectomy radiation. Importantly, postmastectomy radiation was at the physician's discretion, which means that people who received it had more aggressive clinical features such as young age, extensive nodal disease, large tumor size, negative hormone receptor status. To put this in perspective, 63% of all patients who received postmastectomy radiation had four or more lymph nodes involved, while 56% of the patients who didn't get postmastectomy radiation had zero lymph nodes involved. With that built-in selection bias in mind, this unplanned secondary analysis, as published in the Red Journal 2019 by Jode et al., demonstrates patients who received postmastectomy radiation still had a significantly improved disease-free survival at 10 years with a rate of 77% as compared to just 70% without it. Granted, among only no negative patients, no benefit was seen with postmastectomy radiation. But for those with N1 disease, 10-year local recurrence-free survival was improved from 90 to 97%, and there was even a trend towards improved survival. When looking at receptor status, it was triple positive patients who seemed to benefit the most. While not directly explored here, this is in line with data suggesting disease that benefits less from chemotherapy, such as hormone receptor positive cancers, actually benefits more from local regional radiation. 
Specifically, Shalane Goodman from Northwestern published in 2018 that among hormone receptor positive patients that were T1 to 2 in one, using NCDB as a discovery cohort and SEER as a validation cohort, actually had a 2 to 3% survival benefit if their Oncotype DX recurrence score was low, whereas this benefit was not seen in patients with higher recurrence scores. The bottom line is, despite highly effective targeted therapy, patients with HER2-positive, node-positive breast cancer still derive a benefit from postmastectomy radiation. Up next, a perfect 10. There's a lot of data highlighting the negative impact that whole brain radiation has on cognition. Arguably, the best data comes from the Paul Brown et al. JAMA 2016 publication. It was a randomized trial of SRS versus whole brain radiation for patients with 1 to 3 intact brain metastases, in which SRS had less cognitive decline, improved quality of life, and equivalent overall survival. Jumping forward, you probably remember the Alliance N107C trial, also quite notably with Paul Brown as the first author, that compared post-op SRS versus whole brain for resected brain metastases. In this study, overall survival was equivalent with improved cognition in the SRS arm, but there was also the surprising fact that local control was superior in the whole brain arm at 81% versus 61%. Nestled within this trial was the option for centers to use one of two whole brain regimens, 30 gray in 10 fractions, or 37.5 gray in 15 fractions. While you're probably used to the former regimen, some argue that the latter produces more durable control with less cognitive side effects. Luckily, the trial had a huge battery of cognitive tests, and there was a fairly even split among centers using each regimen. So you know what that means, a post-hoc analysis. Thanks to Dan Trifoletti's publication in the Red Journal 2019, he found that there was no statistical differences in time to cognitive deterioration, local control, intracranial control, or survival when comparing the two radiation regimens. The bottom line is, there's no apparent difference when whole brain is delivered over 10 versus 15 fractions. Let's finish up with two short stories. The first one being field theory. Having established its role in the treatment of glioblastoma, tumor-treating fields could be making its way to the chest for mesothelioma treatment, as detailed in a Lancet Oncology 2019 publication by Sarah Zoli. And finally, incentives. When it comes to human nature, they're almost always financial, right? This thought-provoking article in the New York Times by Dufflow and Banerjee says, wrong, it's status and dignity that take the cake, which is believable if you truthfully ask yourself why you ditched your 20s and maybe a lot of your 30s to get that medical doctorate.
So this rounds out the quadcast. This is our new format. We're giving it a try. Let us know what you think. Email us at quadshotnews at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at quadshotnews. We'd love to know what you think. We'd like to make this product valuable and helpful to you. We hope you have a great week. We'll catch you next time.